Jason and Gary coming to you right now with a special edition of the Walrus and the Carpenter. Um, we come to you today a little over a week after the devastating tornadoes uh, over on the east side of our fair city of Peoria. Uh, the tornadoes affected East Peoria, uh, Pekin, and most of the devastating damage happened in Washington, Illinois. And so we thought we wanted to uh, come and do a special podcast that we're going to try to release very quickly after it's recorded uh, to just give some theological perspective on dealing with uh, tragedy, uh, dealing with um, these sort of devastating events from a scriptural perspective. And uh, we do come uh, praising the Lord that there was um, only one fatality, and I don't say that flippantly. Um, because obviously one life lost is a life lost and is devastating for that family. But to see the devastation, and if you've seen the pictures, uh, it's amazing that only one person lost their life. And that's why I say that. I mean, it is absolutely um, reminiscent of what you see in, um, there's nothing to compare it to. I mean, a war zone, um, things you've seen in, in the movies, um, where unfortunately we become desensitized to those kind of events. But to walk the streets and to see these people's homes completely destroyed is another matter altogether. And so we wanted to come and just lend some biblical perspective to that. And so I'm going to turn things over to Gary as we begin this conversation, and uh, we'll see how we walk through this. Brother. I I think you brought up a good point about looking at it theologically. And and for those of you who've been listening to this, I, I don't, think it's just a pastoral issue and we are going to discuss the 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 perspective of how does a pastor minister to his people as far as teaching and modeling but i think for those of you who are are just everyday joe six-pack christians how you speak of this to both believers and other believers ties in so closely with our own identity um how do we talk with people around us about what God has done in a tornado? Um, how does that tie in with the gospel? How do we talk to our, our, our kids about this? How do we talk with other church members? How do we talk to the guy who's at the desk, de- the desk next to us at work? Because for those of us who have any type of active Christian testimony, the question is going to be asked, uh, what what are you going to do you know why why did this happen um somehow parse for me how god works these things and it's going to be part of our conversation and if we're honest with ourselves we're trying to answer that question to ourselves because we don't want to embrace cliche or be glib to to embrace any sort of cliche or or or, or be glib about it, and so this is important for anybody in Christendom that when these things are placed on on our doorstep, how do we speak of them in a God-centered universe? Yeah, and it, it takes tragedies like this sometimes, Gary, for us to even raise these questions. Uh, at the level that we're raising them right now, although any of us can think of a, a myriad of personal tragedies that we interact with on a regular basis, um, somebody who miscarries um, and or the loss of a loved one. And so these questions aren't just raised at a time like this, but it's at these times where there is a major devastation 
that these questions become more of something that that is asked in the public forum. And so I think you're right. It, it, unless someone you're interacting with on a regular basis is personally going through these tragedies, there's something unique about these times uh, where it is something as widespread as they're saying now about a thousand homes um, either um, damaged or completely destroyed in just Washington alone. And so it does bring these kind of questions to the public forum. Um, certainly not at the national level like we had at 9-11-2001, uh, but this is nationally known news, and so um, it is affecting um, a large group of people, certainly the Peoria area, certainly central Illinois and the Midwest, where there were other tornadoes that, that occurred on the same day. Uh, but, but uh, yeah, what do, how do we answer those questions according to the Word of God, and how do we not take advantage, per se, because I think some people would say that's what we're doing when we bring up, but this is a unique gospel opportunity. It is, it is foolish to say we're taking advantage of the situation, especially, if, again, if we live in a God-centered universe, I don't believe in omens, but I believe in reminders. Mm. And God just basically dropped in front of us a reminder of who he is and what he's capable of doing. Um, I, I, I think kind of breaking this out, Jason, and I'm just going to throw this out here. I, I would encourage us to, first of all, ask the question, how does this tie in with what we teach our congregation and what we teach others? And then after that, talk about maybe how other pastors are dealing with this. And then third, how do we deal in follow-up ministry with, 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 with something like this? Sure. Yeah, I think the immediate passage that I think of when these kind of things happen is Luke 13. Uh, where Jesus interacts with um, those who are presenting a challenge to him, essentially. I'm just going to read it from the ESV. Uh, Luke 13, verses 1 through 5, uh, says, There were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those eighteen on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And I think that the the main point of what Jesus is trying to say there is that regardless of how someone dies, regardless of the tragedy that we face, it should be, and I like your word, a reminder to us that there is one who is pure, there is one who is holy, and that is God alone, uh, manifested in the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, the great three-in-one is the only one who can uh, claim uh, complete purity, complete holiness, and and all others are sinners. So whether we are, you know, not not to say it in in a in a, in a uh, an uncaring way, but whether we are swept up in a tornado, or whether a tower falls on us, uh, we are all sinners in need of repentance. And so I think we see Jesus here in the midst of talking about a slaughter in the midst of talking about a great tragedy, a couple of great tragedies, that he takes it to 
the kingdom, to the gospel, to the purity and holiness of God. And and, and you do bring a good point because I, I think when we teach our people, and a lot of pastors have approached it this way, for which I've been thankful, is that rather than than, than asking why, we have to keep going back to who. Right. I mean, that, that always seems to be the right shift. And mm. if... I, I think even if we knew the why, we wouldn't like the why. Mm. Um, you know, calling Job. Uh, but the idea that, okay, let's focus on the character of God. Let's let's focus on God's capacity for love and for holiness and for mercy and, and, and grace. And if we're part of the picture at all, I think that there needs to be a very real understanding of our lack of the same. Mm. Uh, we opened up worship yesterday with Psalm ninety, and one of, and and I the, the thing is is what are the two things we should be thankful for? We should be thankful that God is mighty, and we should be thankful that we are not. Right. I mean, those are two reasons to be thankful to God right there. And and if if, if you're approaching ministry if 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 your theology is based in that um you have a much healthier view of the universe i mean narcissism is kicked on its butt right there indeed and and i think that leads to that theological point gary that when we talk about the goodness of god when we talk about the wisdom of god when we talk about god's ordination of these kinds of things we can't take a standard outside of who God is and try to place it up against God and say, God, you must be this way because I demand that this is what goodness looks like, or I demand that this is what wisdom looks like, or I demand that this is what uh, you ordaining all things that come to pass. You know, Isaiah 60, uh, 46 says that he knows the end from the beginning, and, and you know, specifically in context, is talking about Cyrus coming in to conquer uh, Babylon. But in the bigger uh, context of, of God's sovereign plan, um, how dare we, in some senses, say, God, you must be this way? Thinking of Romans 9, the potter, or the pottery isn't going to say to the potter, you know, why have you made me this way? Sort of demanding that God be something other than who he is. Right. And I do think you bring up an important point because the big argument I've heard against God's sovereignty in these type of situations is uh, the charge of fatalism. Right, and that that is a legitimate concern. I I really do. Are we just supposed to lay back and take all of this? Mm. But coming from 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 the way you just explained it, it's only fatalism. But well, fatalism is wrong. Period. But we avoid fatalism if 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 we start with the idea that our definitions as far as what is good, what is wise, what is beautiful must start with God as opposed to starting with us. Mm. Once we start with the phrase going, I don't see how we've we've just you know, we've just basically said I am the ultimate guideline for how I think the universe is gonna come together. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I I um I think that that is where a presuppositional apologetic if we could just enter into that conversation for a second um helps in these kind of discussions as well because what people don't realize when we have to get them to realize and what I don't realize often about myself is I start with an assumption. You don't. You don't realize that at all, man. <laughs> Uh, but I start with an assumption about who God ought to be, 
And it's something that either has been taught to me by someone else who created it, created their idea of what God ought to be, or it's some creation of my own mind, which doesn't have necessarily all falsehood integrated within it, because I do have the image of God stamped on my being. And according to Romans 2, um, I can conceivably be someone who's never heard about God and and um, and, and still um, come up with some sort of a God-shaped theology in my mind. But until it is until it is founded in the Word of God, it's going to be incorrect. And even then, my my imagination can get away with me, even as someone who's informed by the scriptures. And so I have to always get back to the text uh, to be the measure. Now, with with that being said, and I, I still want us to kind of hit the point about uh, what we need to be teaching our people all the way along. But let's say someone comes to you and says, okay, you say you're reading the scriptures this way, but you're bringing a bias into it in reading God as being sovereign in this way. How would How would you respond to that? I would open the scriptures to Isaiah in the 40s and just say, please read this for me um, and, and respond, if you could, to what you read there with, from your perspective. In other words, if you're saying God is not sovereign and I'm bringing that to the text, explain to me what this means otherwise. Because I can't, if I can't divorce my thinking from what you're accusing me of and you come to it, you're saying without that perspective, I can't get there. I can't get to where you're getting when I read these passages, so explain this to me. And give them the opportunity to work through those passages. Um, and I'm assuming there's somebody who, who believes the Bible is true. I'm, I'm making some assumptions here in your question. But um, explain to me what this means. I can't get away from it. Help me. No, and, and uh, I, I think it's healthy to point to places like uh, Isaiah and, and uh, Habakkuk. Mm. And other passages like that, because rather than starting with a particular theological system, we're saying, okay, this this is what we see happening. Even Ezekiel uh, and aspects of Jeremiah, as you look at, at the trajectory of Israel as a nation, uh, and you don't cut it up in little moralistic slices, right? But 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 you see it as this huge un, unfolding story of a people that are chosen and yet reject God. Uh, you you do see a sovereign God. Now, coming back, and I think you and I talked about this yesterday uh, out outside. Um, you gave me an illustration as far as teaching people or, or, or preparing them to live in a world where things like this happen. And we discussed this, and I really appreciated your mm. illustration of that. I, if, you, if you could share that. Yeah, that's great. Um, some very close friends of ours... Um, and I've, I've used this illustration many times, and they know that I have. I, I will not use their names, but some very close friends of ours um, had to, um, over the course of the years, essentially birth two dead babies. Um, it wasn't just a simple miscarriage. It was they were further along in the pregnancies, and they um, the babies uh, passed away within the womb, and it wasn't simply. Uh, the, the procedure that happens after an early miscarriage, it was actually having to birth their children who were no longer alive. And I remember after the first time that that happened, my friend uh, received a phone call from, from our pastor down in St. Louis. And um, 
Pastor Jerry is his name. He said, what can I do? What can I do for your family? What do you need? And my friend uh, simply said, you've already done it. And certainly by saying that, he wasn't saying there was no way that Jerry or the church could not minister to them or could minister to them, but simply was saying the theology rooted in contextual, exegetical, uh, verse-by-verse teaching has prepared us for this moment. Not that there's not grief, not that there's not the agonizing of the soul, but that agonizing of the soul has a place to rest in the truth of God's word that has been explained uh, time and time again. Even if the context isn't tragedy, as as we preach and teach the word of God, there becomes a uh, clearer and clearer understanding of God's um, care for us, even in the midst of those things, because he does care for us, even if at the end of all of that it is for his own glory, which I believe it is, that doesn't negate God's care for us or minimize that part of his character in understanding his ordination and sovereignty over all matters. And you, you do bring up a good point there. And there's something that, that you said I just want to rest on a in a moment. And this may sound like a bit of a harsh statement, but I, I think it holds up. A pastor who is not preaching expositionally is not training his people how to deal with suffering in a Christ-like, joyful manner. He yeah. simply can't do it. Right. Every once in a while, he can do the you know a four-point series on suffering every right. once in a while. Right. But unless you're going through the thread of Scripture as it's laid out, you're not going to see the scope of joy and sorrow. Mm. The sorrow of living in a sin-cursed, fallen world... And the joy of looking for another kingdom whose maker is God. You're not going to see how those two are so closely woven together. You just can't. Yeah. And you're not going to have those foundations built in your people's lives. That's exactly right. So I will say this. If you're out there not going to an expositionally preaching church, get out. All right. (laughs) Sorry, man. Just just get out of there. No, that's such a good point, Gary. And and I think as one who has now been in the pulpit for – a year. I mean, obviously, um, I've I've preached through series, and and um, I, I did student ministries for many years. Where I was preaching two times a week, and then I kind of had this break for five years where I wasn't doing expositional preaching because I was doing other things within the body of Christ, teaching nonetheless, teaching expositional Bible studies, but but preaching systematically through books in the context of the pulpit of a, of a local assembly, I have been pushed more and more into realizing that suffering and persecution comes up just as often as joy and um, rest in, in the gospel. Yes, yes. And, and I'm not saying this in any way to be condescending. You will find, especially as you go through any Old Testament book, mm. it's woven so closely there. Paul and his epistles, I mean... Even elements of Song of Solomon, you know, yes. there's there's this idea of, of heartbreak in there. Mm-hmm. But yet, in spite of that, as believers, we have this capacity for a supernatural joy. And uh, again, that that's that's ignored in a non-expositional framework. Right. And when your when your goal, and and again, I want to be careful about not. Well. I, Maybe I don't want to be careful. I do want to. I want to go along lines of what you just said. When the goal of any assembly that calls itself a church is to attract non-believers, that message is not going to come out. 
Because who wants to be, if you're not a believer, who wants to hear about suffering on a Sunday morning? Unless the solution to that suffering is given. And when you say, well, we're going to attract people by, you know, flowery sort of uh, come to Jesus and he's going to make all your dreams come true kind of theology. um, You're not going to include that in your message. You're going to avoid passages like that. And um, if if we consider the fact that, that the Western church just does not have necessarily a category for lament, or for tragedy, um, we 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 see the truth of that in times like this. No, it's 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 a very good point, and I I think ultimately, and I tell people with this in counseling, or just talking with them one on one after they suffered, I said ultimately my goal is to get us to the point where you're able to to praise God because of your suffering, yes. not in spite of yes. it. Now. I don't know how long it's going to take us to get there, and right. it has to be supernatural work of God ultimately to get there. It's not going to be dependent upon me or even you, mm. but God working. But that's we we want to praise God through this and in this, mm. and uh, always keeping that viewpoint in mind. And uh, I, I think personal discipleship has to really enter into it. Uh, with 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 that being said, um, do you have any ideas of any pitfalls? On ministering to some of of the local people, or maybe various other examples of where there were maybe issues in dealing with this. Yes, Gary, thank you for putting the flashcard up so I would remember exactly what you're talking Actually, about. Actually, I'm, I'm just waving it in his face right now, to be honest with you. Well, I will let you answer your own question. No, 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 no. It, and and you can introduce it. In fact, I was thinking of some good examples, if you want to bring up some some good examples. And we think of sure. our, our mutual friend, yeah. well, actually your friend, my acquaintance, uh, Daniel Bennett. Oh, no, I think he'll be hurt by that. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. This is good for his soul. Uh, no, I think, yeah, the way that Bethany Community Church, and, and this isn't to disparage any other churches that well, A have, lot of other churches did it. Yeah, well have, have stepped in, but... But being close to Daniel and to the context of Bethany community and even the Bethany Fellowship of Churches um, here in the Peoria area, how they responded to that, but particularly Bethany community has been overwhelming. Um, I was able to participate in some of their activities, um, and uh, I think the reason that that I would gravitate automatically is not just because of relationship with Daniel, but because I know what that church stands for. And I know the way they're going to approach helping people in that area. And it's going to be very much from that biblical exegetical contextual, um, way of doing things. And I so appreciate that about, um, Bethany uh, community and about Daniel, um, the way they've handled it has been phenomenal. Um, the number of volunteers that have come through their organization, both those who would associate themselves with the church, calling themselves Christians, and those who were not. I, I rub shoulders with people who would not claim to be born again. Um, it's just been a tremendous opportunity uh, to take tragedy and say, okay, how can we speak into our community, not just with social uh, or economic type helps, but but truly bringing the gospel to bear upon this situation. And that has been an excellent example. And I'm so thankful for the work that they have done. And, and I think to not just say with our um, not just say with our mouths that we believe something to be true about the gospel, to go and to put feet and hands to that and, and to really do that, not just not just kind of say 
um, social helps are here, but but we're here because we care about you because God cares about us. Yes, and and even the fact, and pardon me if I take it one more step. Please do. Um, not only say we care about you because God cares about us, but God changed me so that I would care about yeah, you. Amen. Which means that our service has to far. I won't say outstrip, but it has to have a different quality than the unbelievers. One of the things we've been discussing at our church is, and and by the way, this is not in any way trying to diminish the volunteers that have already worked, but you and I both know that after tragedy exists for one or two weeks, it loses its legs. Yes. People lose interest, and we go on and do something else. Sure. And the real... I think push for believers is going to be the fact, hey, after two weeks, am I still checking the website? After three weeks, after four weeks? Because mm-hmm. part of us are going to be rolling our eyes going, well, are they still here? You know, Are mm-hmm. they still need a house? Do they still need stuff? And say, no, as a believer in Christ, I serve and I serve and I serve and I serve because the gospel has made me this type of person. In fact, if I may parse this a little bit, the 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 role of the church is ultimately not to take care of people who have fallen prey to tornadoes and catastrophe, but it's to produce people who will serve others in the case of catastrophe. And that may seem like a fine line, but it's an important one. Mm. It's an important one. We're we're not full of good people. We're full of losers that God has remade and re and changed us into something so different where, hey, praise God I get to spend outside in the cold for three hours digging through someone else's trash. Yeah, and I think if we're going to claim to be gospel driven, if we're gonna say we are a gospel centered church and in and, and that's been variously defined, but if we're going to say we do this because we've been changed by the gospel, you know, Second Corinthians five, we've been made uh, new creatures in Christ, and uh, the old things have passed, new things have come. I am viewing things through the lens of the tragedy of Christ on the cross. Right. And and and, and if 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 you cannot deal with the tragedy of these tornadoes biblically how can you deal with the tragedy of the cross biblically yes very good point. And, and going to the article that that we are that was discouraging to us from a local pastor um where it was you know very clear that there was not a biblical slash gospel understanding of what happened it was very poorly dealt with in this article and 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 this is just occurring to me now as we're talking about it. How can you deal with the tragedy of what happened in Washington, Illinois, in Pekin, and East Peoria? If you cannot deal biblically with those, how do you deal biblically with the tragedy of the cross? Are you saying Acts 2, 22 through 24 is not true? That that this idea that God foreordained the death of Jesus on a cross, yet men carried it out, Um is somehow should be cut from our Bibles? Does that make sense the way I'm no, putting it? No, I, I understand what you're saying. It, and actually, I don't want to have time to get into it, but the whole attack on the atonement also is being uh, cosmic child abuse. Right. And some of that stuff going off there. And I don't know if this particular blogger slash pastor um, is, is coming from that angle. I, I think my concern, and, and this is just to summarize for our audience, there's a local pastor who had written a blog about the tornado. It's called Duck, Duck, Duck tornado and they brought him on the local news channel and they were going through his answers to why the tornado took place and i found myself incredibly frustrated in fact i was yelling at the radio if you want to know but i was by myself so that's okay (laughs) uh 
because he 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 was making some good points about some of the things that are brought about the tornado. For instance, he said uh, there, there 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 are some people who say that th- the tornado came at a time when all the Christian folk were in church. See, God was protecting his people. To put it very politely, that's kind of nonsense, and it, it isn't biblical. And I understand his concern with yes, that. yeah, I very much and his and and his concern with some of the things that are being said. I can understand that, and I respect that, and I appreciate his desire to minister. But to be honest, I felt a lot of what he said was not only unbiblical, but I felt it was disingenuous Mm. in his unwillingness to deal with people's real definitions. Basically, if I I, I may summarize, um, in fact, I will read the last paragraph quickly. Uh, He says, I don't believe for one second that God was out to get you on Sunday afternoon. I don't believe God was judging you. I believe nature happened. The weather was the optimal condition and houses were in the way. I don't believe God sits in heaven playing with us in such sadistic ways. God did not put his finger down and wipe out your home. Nor do I believe that God was saving some people and rejecting, pardon me, some people and neglecting some to suffer. Last I checked, everyone, Christian or not, was home, whose home was in the path was lost, was in the path lost. I do not believe God plays a cosmic game of duck, 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 cancer, tornado, hurricane, arbitrarily dishing out human tragedies. What I do believe with every fiber of my being is that in our tragedies, God weeps with us just like Jesus stood at the grave of his friend Lazarus and wept. And in these moments, like every moment of every day, God is calling us to do good to the people around us, to be God's agents in the world, to be God's hands, to face the darkness head on, refusing to explain it away or minimize the suffering with tired cliches. Every day, people are losing homes, dying of cancer, losing jobs. Every day, there are opportunities to do good if we only open our eyes and seek out the dark places. Um, I'll just say two quick things, and then feel free to jump in, Jason, or I'm going to be obnoxious, or I'll continue to be obnoxious. It frustrates me that he mentions the whole Lazarus wept. But he doesn't go back to earlier in the same chapter when Jesus intentionally slows people down so that Lazarus will die before he gets there because he says, you have to learn something. Now, the thing I love about our Savior right here is when he weeps, he weeps because of the pain he had to put people through in order that they would understand him better. And the writer of this totally misses that. Mm. And he says that if God is sovereign, he also has to be arbitrary. And again, this goes back to the why versus who. If if we know who God is, we know that arbitrary doesn't exist in God's dojo, if I may put it that way. There is no such concept as arbitrary in right. God's in God's universe. Yes. Yeah, nothing occurs to God. Yes. Nothing yes. is an afterthought to God. No, nothing. Right. And and again, I, I'm thinking Listen to that. What what a neutered, helpless God mm-hmm. who comes along and says, "Sorry, guys, that really sucked." Yeah, yeah. I, Gary, I couldn't agree more. It's not that the objections raised are objections that you and I also would not raise. It's the answer that is given, yes. and I I described it to you yesterday as we were chatting about this as flat. You know, if you're going to take the perspective that God is not sovereign. Um, move all the way to openness theology and just embrace it. Um, but even our Arminian friends, if I could use that terminology, um, would not have a view of God that lacked his control in regard to these matters. Now, I think that that's where they are inconsistent. And as I think it's Phil Johnson who says, they're closet Calvinists really at the end of the day. Um, 
the the point is is nothing occurs to God. Nothing is arbitrary to God. And 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 if God is all wise, then um, it is impossible for um, God to to be caught off guard. It's impossible for God to not know ultimately that through this he is working all things together as Romans 8 tells us. And I don't want to just use that in a pat sense because it's it's not it's not as if these things are happening in such a way that God has removed himself from being involved in time. We're not deists. Right. I mean, that's what Romans 8 tells us, is that he is working these things together, and in a sense, that's presently working these things together. I don't mean that frantically because he's being caught off guard, but but there is this weaving that's going on in a providential sense, in a compatibilistic way, if I could use that theological term, that, that God is working out his plan in the midst of these tragedies. Yeah, I... If I did not believe in a God who was orchestrating the movement of subatomic particles all the way to galaxies, what type of God would he be? Now, to the point of what this writer is saying, again, I understand that there is a mystery aspect to God's sovereignty. And it's very dangerous to say, this is why God is doing this. Mm. Uh, We were talking with our congregation, and... Some some of you out there may disagree with me on this. Do and and do I think that that judgment took place? Absolutely. But I also think judgment took place, the strengthening of faith, the redemption of others, and it all happened in various ways with various people, all woven together in ways that we cannot comprehend. And it is not up to us. And God does not communicate with us how to unwind those threads. We just need to know that he has acted and this is what he says about himself and if you look back at job i think something like this can easier fall back to to the two groups of the guys of of job where you have job and his his friends both basically saying the same thing saying god god's mechanical God's totally mechanical, and he always rewards good or or punishes evil. And Elihu's the only one who steps in and says, "No, God is God, and He does whatever He wants." Hmm. So don't don't try to justify yourself before God and why these things took place. Right. And to add to what you just said, Gary, those things are happening all the time. Yes. This is a very public way for us to encounter these questions, but the truth is, judgment encouragement, um, suffering, um, all these things are happening all the time. This is just a a very public um, event that causes us to ask these questions. So if I can say again, God is not caught off guard by these things. We have to think of God in the biggest sense that we can if as possible for us in our finite minds that that he's working all these things together this these are happening moment by moment by moment and if i can address something that was said in the article it's been happening that way judgment has been happening since the garden yes um earthquakes in eden baby (laughs) (laughs) we could spend another 10 15 minutes on that statement in that article but 
the point is is that yes we we can look back and say adam as the head of the human race when he fell it put into motion by god's sovereign design these sort of things are going to happen and i don't believe that nature happened in that way before the fall there is no indication in the scriptures that that is what uh, occurred before the fall and, and the fall does impact everything from you and me to the very goings on in the atmosphere. Yes, and 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 again, I, I hate to say this, but I think this is again where the writer's being disingenuous because someone w- mentions to him, "Well, this is part of living in a sin cursed world." And what he doesn't say was that when we speak of a sin cursed world, we're not saying that storms are moral or earthquakes are moral. We're saying that storms and earthquakes exist because reality's breaking down. Yes. And again, there's it's an apples and oranges thing, and uh, I, I I think it was very un, unhelpful and more confusing than uh, anything else. Um, if if you're still interested, and I'll, I'll throw this out here for those of you in the Peoria area, I encourage you to keep an eye on Bethany Community's webpage or, or Facebook page rather. They're doing continual updates, and when they're sending out volunteer groups. Keep them in mind. Keep them in prayer. As the weeks go by, keep checking out. Keep asking, how can I help? Look for opportunities to speak of what Christ is doing to your unsaved friends and neighbors. Take those opportunities to share the gospel. Um, Examine your own heart about these things. Then the tragedies that God brings into your own life. Challenge yourself with the question, do I know God's word well enough that I can speak of these things biblically and clearly? In a way that my audience understands, this is what God says about himself. And uh, again, this is a challenge for all of us. Well, again, you've been listening to a special edition of The Walrus and the Carpenter. Uh, We pray for those families who've been affected uh, by the tornadoes here in our area. And we pray that God would use uh, these events as a means for the gospel to continue to, to go forth in these situations where it is much more of a public uh, opportunity for these questions to be raised, uh, we desire that God would be glorified, that the gospel would go forth, and that people would come to know Christ. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you join us again in our coming podcasts.